0: I want to tell you about the Demon Core, which, uh, which honestly, sounds like a forbidden artifact from an anime series or something. But no, this this was a real thing. Uh, a lot of listeners have written in wanting to hear about the Demon Corps, Paul Kleeman, Rob Hanton, Lucas, Henry. So thanks to one and all. Uh, cheers very much for getting in touch. But uh, look, with, with with Oppenheimer and the Manhattan Project and everything that the US was doing uh, in the 1940s when it comes to nuclear research, with that sort of in the crosshairs at the moment, I thought that now would be a good time to get across the Demon Corps, which um was not only responsible for multiple criticality accidents while being experimented with in the Los Alamos laboratories um it was also it also resulted in the first ever fatality brought about by one of these criticality incidents essentially just a, an uncontrolled nuclear chain reaction so Let's talk about what this thing was, why it existed, what it was used for, and of course, how it got its very infamous sounding nickname. So first of all, what was the Demon Core? Very simply, it was just a lump of plutonium. It was about six kilograms of the stuff, uh, a sphere, about 89 millimeters in diameter, which uh, which is a bit bigger than a baseball. Maybe the size of a a smallish grapefruit for all the Americans listening, for whom a millimeter is as foreign a concept as a public toilet without gaps in the doorframe. Um, And for those who've listened to episode 197, History of Nuclear Weapons Get Across It, you will probably realise that six kilograms of plutonium is no joke. It is a subcritical mass, sure, but it's still an incredibly dangerous thing to have laying around. Why? Because plutonium is super radioactive. It can blast out particles like nobody's business, sort of thing that can very quickly deliver a fatal dose of radiation. And that's exactly what it did. During experiments that were testing, just how dangerous the damn thing was, the answer to that question, as it turns out, was extremely bloody dangerous. Can you believe it? While undergoing experiments designed to find out how close the, uh, the plutonium was to going critical, the plutonium went critical, and not just once, but twice, if you'll believe it, as the scientists continued with their experiments, even after one of them had been killed after being blasted with deadly radiation. So, with all that said, why did this thing exist in the first place, you might wonder. Well, generally speaking, the the Los Alamos Laboratory, where the US built the world's first nukes under Oppenheimer, generally speaking, this laboratory was filled with all sorts of marvellously deadly things, uh, unshielded nuclear reactors, enriched uranium, and, in mid-1945, this six-kilogram lump of highly radioactive plutonium, the Demon Core. This core was man- manufactured for use in making a third nuclear weapon to drop on Japan. The second nuke, Fat Man, had a very similar plutonium core, and this one, the new core, was to be part of the third. But, of course, the Japanese surrendered before a third bomb could be dropped, or even or even built, as it turned out. The third bomb was scheduled by the Truman administration to be dropped on the 19th of August, but the Japanese surrendered on the 15th, and so now there is a there is a spare plutonium core just hanging out in Los Alamos. So what's to be done with it? Well, some very exciting science as it happens, uh, as the scientists at Los Alamos were able to retain the core to use for research. Besides, you know, it could always be used later on to make another bomb if need be, in the case of those pesky Ruskies get any jumped up fancy ideas about who the real heroes of the post-war era were. But in the meantime, the Los Alamos scientists, they were able to fiddly fart around with the core, and this led to some... Uh, Less than ideal results, I think it's fair to say. While this core was subcritical, that is, it was unable to sustain a nuclear chain reaction on its own, the scientists working with it knew that it wouldn't take very much for that to change. This lump of plutonium was a bee's dick away from going critical. That's kind of the whole point of these radioactive cores. You need them to be like that in order to turn them into nukes. Now, as I say, being subcritical, it's not... Going to go critical by itself, just sitting there. It needs something to happen to it. For instance, a rapid and strong compression, the very thing that it would have undergone if it were turned into a nuke, or something else like more nuclear material being added to it, or something being put near it that reflected the particles that it was emitting back into it. These are the sorts of things that would make it go critical, but surely, surely. Nothing like that is going to happen in the tightly controlled environment of the Los Alamos laboratory. Surely not. Well, what happened next was that the Los Alamos scientists started to run experiments to find out just how close the plutonium was to going critical, as I mentioned before. And again, they found out very quickly, indeed, that the plutonium was, in fact, rather bloody close to going critical at all times. It didn't need much to push it over the edge. Check this out. On the 21st of August, 1945, Harry Daglian, a Los Alamos physicist, was working on a neutron reflector experiment. He was placing tungsten carbide bricks around the core. And these tungsten carbide bricks reflected the particles emitted by the plutonium back into it. Each brick brought the core closer and closer to criticality. So he's already playing with fire here. Very, very bloody bloody dangerous game to be playing. But then, poor old Daglion, he makes what would be the biggest mistake of his short life when he dropped one of the bricks onto the core. This caused the core to go supercritical in a flash of blue light and scorching heat, and it began blasting out radiation like you wouldn't believe. And Daglion cops an absolute shellacking from the thing. He is hit with about two grays of neutron radiation, 200 rads. And on top of that, another 1.1 grays of gamma radiation. More than enough to kill the poor bloke. He dies 25 days later of acute radiation syndrome. Um, and the only other person who was in the room with him, a security guard, Robert Hemley, uh he also got hit with a bit of radiation, uh, not as much as poor Daglian, but en- enough to very likely contribute to his death as well, 33 years later, of acute myeloid leukemia. Anyway, even with this incident in the books, this lump of plutonium, it wasn't finished. The incident that got it its nickname, the Demon Core, was still yet to come. Before this, this uh, this lump of plutonium was known as Rufus, a pretty harmless name all things considered, but Rufus was anything but harmless and hadn't finished killing people. On the 21st of May 1946, that next year, scientists were still mucking about with experiments designed to figure out just how close this core was to criticality. They weren't happy with very bloody close, apparently. They needed a bit more exactness, these bloody nerds here. The core was slated for use in Operation Crossroads, a series of atmospheric nuclear tests on the Bikini Atoll in the Pacific Ocean. But before that, these scientists are still running tests on it in the lead up to the uh, in, in the lead up to these these atmospheric tests, and this resulted in the physicist Lewis Slotin uh, conducting an experiment with seven other people looking on. Uh, once again, using neutron reflectors like poor old Harry Dalian had, but this time rather than bricks, he's using two half spheres of beryllium, which had been shaped to completely encase the spherical core. And just like the tungsten carbide from beforehand, this beryllium would act as a neutron reflector that would surround the core while its criticality could be very carefully measured. Now, of course, Slotten was acting with extreme care, not taking any shortcuts with this experiment, especially after the demise of Peralt Daglian last year. He was taking the whole thing very seriously, wasn't he? He wasn't he wasn't mucking around about to drop the beryllium on the core or anything like that. Nope. Instead of using specially made wedges that were designed to help safely lower the beryllium into place while preventing the core from going supercritical, Slotten used a flathead screwdriver. Apparently, Slotten didn't give a toss about rules and regulations. He, he, he was no nerd. He's often doing his experiments in jeans and, and cowboy boots. That's, that's not a joke. That's what he usually wore. Bugger a bloody lab coat and a pocket protector, he says. Slotin had been warned by Enrico Fermi, the famous nuclear physicist, that he would be, quote, dead within a year if he continued to run experiments with such brash bravado. And, well, I I hate to say it, but Fermi was right, as it happens, in what is perhaps one of the least surprising accidents in the history of nuclear technology, while lowering the beryllium half-sphere, Slotin's screwdriver slipped. The beryllium fell onto the core, and that was that. The same deal as last time. A flash of blue light and scorching heat as the core went supercritical. Slotten acted very quickly. To his credit, he used the screwdriver to flip the half sphere off the core and onto the ground within a second, but the damage was done. Because in that second, a blast of radiation had hit everyone in the room. Some only got very minor doses, thankfully. And the main reason for this is is Slotten. Because of how his body was positioned over the core as the screwdriver slipped, he actually shielded most of the others in the room from the worst of the radiation with his body, while he himself copped 10 grays of neutron radiation, five times what Daglian was hit with, as well as 1.1 grays of, of gamma radiation. And, of course, he died. He died nine days later of acute radiation syndrome. Fermi was right. Slotin's foolhardy recklessness cost him his life. Although, I will say, his quick reaction to his mistake did prevent the accident from being even worse. Another physicist, Alvin C. Graves, who had been looking over Slotin's shoulder, he caught about 1.6 grays. but after being hospitalized for radiation poisoning, he died of a heart attack 19 years later, so it looked like he dodged the worst of it. Uh, although sadly, uh, one of the one of the other physicists in the room, Marion says, Licky died of acute myelocytic leukemia that same year, same year as Graves. Nineteen years later, so not all of the people in the room were so lucky. Although happily, most of the others lived into their eighties. But with two scientists now dead to this core, there were two things that happened after the second incident. Firstly. In-person manual criticality experiments were completely done away with, and remote-controlled machines were used instead. With the experimenters at least four hundred metres away from whatever they were playing with. Good idea, you'd think. Maybe should have started out without that, that approach from the get-go. But of course, hindsight is twenty-twenty. Who could have foreseen that fiddling around with deadly, near-critical, extremely radioactive lumps of plutonium would be so dangerous? But of course, the second thing that took place was that this lump of plutonium in particular was given its nickname, the Demon Corps, responsible for the first ever lethal criticality accidents. As for its ultimate fate, it was never used in Operation Crossroads, as the Slotten criticality incident meant that it was no longer fit for purpose. And a few weeks later, it was melted down and recycled. Recycled into other cores, I should say. Not into, like, a, a, a water bottle or something. Don't worry, you're not drinking from the remains of the demon core.